The Retro Lounge is a look back into the archives of the Recruiters Lounge podcast with Jim Stroud and Karen Matinen. The Recruiters Lounge podcast posted weekly between the years of 2005 and 2010. With energy, wit, and opposite points of view, <laughs> Jim Stroud and Karen Madden discussed, debated, and squabbled like children over HR issues that affected the workplace and society overall for the benefit of all who would listen. This episode of the Recruiter's Lounge originally aired, actually I'm not really sure, I had some technical difficulties uh, with some of my programs earlier, so my best Estimate is that this podcast originally aired around March 28th, 2009, which was a Saturday, so it's quite possible. So uh, let's just go with that. This episode of the Sound originally aired on March 28th, 2009. It is an interview with Jim Durbin on the future of contract recruiting. How well does his predictions hold up? Well, tune in and find out for yourself. Listen in right after this. Critical race theory supports the logic that all whites are born racist and oppressors by nature. They are to be viewed as a collective threat to non-white people and beyond redemption. This sentiment is already infecting the American workplace via racial sensitivity and diversity trainings. Despite the obvious controversy, such trainings are being accepted as just and fair and at an alarming pace across corporate America. Racism Reimagined How Critical Race Theory Imperils the American Workplace is an ebook that I wrote. In it, I do three things. One, I explain the basics of critical race theory. Two, I demonstrate how critical race theory is negatively affecting the American workplace. And three, I hope, <laughs> I hope, <laughs> I inspire a resistance to critical race theory being taught in the workplace. In light of the increased sensitivity to recent events like the George Floyd protests, the emergence of council culture, and the pressures on corporations to adhere to political correctness, the information in my ebook, Racism Reimagined, How Critical Race Theory Imperils the American Workplace, is a counterbalance that should be carefully considered prior to new investments in diversity training. Racism Reimagined, How Critical Race Theory Imperils the American Workplace is a free resource that can be downloaded and, by all means, shared with those in your network. A download link is available in the podcast description. Hi, I'm Jim Stroud. Welcome to the Recruiter's Lounge. The Recruiter's Lounge is a podcast of news, interviews, and commentary on the recruiting industry, and it was designed with you in mind. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your time in the Recruiter's Lounge. Today's topic, exploring the good, the bad, the ugly, and the future of contract recruiting as seen through the eyes of Jim Durbin. He's my guest, and he's next on... The Recruiter's Lounge. In the Recruiter's Lounge today with Jim Durbin, Director of Corporate Communications for Durbin Media Group. How are you, Jim? Doing pretty good. How's it going, Jim? Ah, doing pretty good. Give us a little bit about uh, your background, if you would, and what is your recruiting expertise? Well, I'm... Um been in sales about 10 years, lots of phone calls, started off selling high-ticket intangibles, and um, 
Moved to Los Angeles in 1999 and uh, quickly joined the internet boom by joining a recruiting firm. Uh, it was one of the small versions of uh, like a tech systems clone. Uh, basically, I was the old guy at 25, <laughs> and uh, we hired 22 recruiters over the course of three years, and uh, they kind of revolved the door. We trained them up, and um, I was out there selling internet companies and dot-coms and uh, basically learning how to recruit and sell at the same time. So um, when the boom ended, I uh, left and came back to Missouri, where I put down some roots. My family's from here. And I uh, joined one of the larger national corporate firms. Um, and then uh, went to another one two years later, which is quite common. And uh, just recently, I uh, had my best year. So uh, as far as recruiting, I guess uh, six, seven years. Wow, that's pretty good. Where I've uh, been doing it. And uh, most of that's been talking to clients and um, just find a, you know trying to match good people to good jobs. Now, I know that you are a uh, prolific blogger. How long have you been blogging? Uh, I started reading about blogs in 2000, and um, I think I started my first one in June of 2002. And uh, so I've been personally writing for four years, but reading them for about six now. Um, just one of those things, once you've been doing it for a year, you, you just can't help. It's in your blood after that. You end up writing about your opinions and, and the, uh, the ability to link to so many subjects. Really, is, uh, I think it's made me a smarter human being. It's like having a reserved brain in the background. <laughs> well, uh, the topic at hand, uh, the future of uh, contract recruiting. Uh, let's start with a, a definition of contract recruiting. How would you define it? Um, that's always tough because uh, managers, basically, I don't, I don't really have opinions. I had clients. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's what a client called it. So I've heard it called flex staffing, contract staffing, consultant staffing, um, temp staffing. The problem is is that um, each one of those words has a different connotation, which does tell you a lot about how somebody approaches it. And, of course, this is different from, like, search firms or sourcing. Um, what is called contract staffing is basically hiring um, employees on a W-2 basis or maybe an independent contracting basis that come in and uh, are working on projects. Uh, so for us, contract recruiting is when you're you're not hiring someone to be a full-time employee, you're hiring them and then utilizing their services kind of as a consultant in a corporation. So it's contract and consulting are pretty much the same thing, um, or at least they were when they started. So now it's a matter of, um, I think in the last several years, there's been a divergence, though, where a consultant is kind of considered uh, um, higher in the hierarchy uh, than a contractor. And a contractor mm-hmm. is just someone who, a staffing company is their employer of record. And uh, that's uh, that's made a lot of changes, I think, in the way that, having somebody come in with a lot of good skills and somebody who just happens to not be an employee but working at a, at a client location. What do you see as the future of contract recruiting? Well, um, actually, I'm a little worried about it. Um, I just finished a great book by uh, Stephen Barley and Gideon Kunda called Guns, Gurus, and Hired Bodies. Hired Guns, Gurus, and Warm Bodies. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, basically it, it's a description of the, of, the, of the Internet boom in Silicon Valley from 97 to 99 talking about agencies and candidates and clients. It's the first one to realize that it really is a triad of the three. So uh, when I first started uh, in Los Angeles, it was kind of a word of mouth. Um, I guess a, a rule that you would basically, a contractor made 30% more than a regular employee. It made up for the gaps in employment, the lack of benefits for paying your own Social Security and Medicare taxes. Um, the idea is if you're, you have more skills, you can bounce around from project to project, but you make more. But what happened is there was a, um, I guess there was, a, there was legislation that was passed in the mid-90s that allowed 
uh, corporations to uh, treat someone who wasn't a, a full-time employee mm-hmm. as an expense. And so what happens is if you take some of your permanent employees and turn them into contractors, or if you hire contractors instead of permanent employees, it affects your stock price in a positive way. Um, a P.E. ratio is what it's called. It's a profit per employee ratio. Mm-hmm. So if you're a large corporation and you have a 1,000 employees and you have um, you have a competitive advantage if 500 of those employees are contractors and you have 500 employees over this, the firm that has a 1,000 full-time employees. So what's happened, or it used to be that you had a consultant come in with the skills that you didn't necessarily have. Now you would hire someone as a contractor um, to do the exact same job as a regular employee, but um, at a lower rate. And so what I'm concerned about the future of contract recruiting is that basically the burden of uh, having an employee from their, you know, workers' comp and insurance and medical benefits has been shifted over to staffing agencies. And the concern with that is that the difference in wages between a contractor and employee is, there is no difference now. The difference is the benefits that the person uh, receives. And I think over the long, long term, there's a lot of money in that for staffing agencies and for certain types of contractors. But at the same time, I think it's, it's a very dangerous trend when uh, employees no longer feel like they're part of a corporation. So it's been a uh, in some ways, I think the future looks—it's—it's it's a little scary. It's a little scary. So, how, how is it possible that the industry can can both be bleak and, and yet yield gods of cash at the same time? Well, the uh, the reason you can make lots of money is, of course, if there's opportunity, a staffing company can stop can step in. You know, recruiting is a very difficult business, and people are paid high amounts to find the right kinds of employees. And so, there's always there's a benefit for someone who can go out there and and uh, just be a great recruiter and give those resources to a company. And when it becomes more difficult to land good employees, good recruiters are going to make a lot of money. Um, in, and that's kind of your basic small firm mentality. They can mm. go after and find quality versus a larger firm doesn't necessarily have that time. And I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But um, basically the, the burden, the benefits uh, that employees used to having, which is both security and stability, and medical benefits and, um, you know, workers' comp and all those things, those are basically shifted over to the staffing agency, which then, if they get to any place they can cut cost, they're going to generate as profit. So where before it was kind of contractors were this high-priced, they're fantastic at what they do, they'll solve the problem and they'll leave, you've reached a point where large portions of IT departments all across the country are filled with contractors who don't have any loyalty necessarily, who are, you know, aren't covered by the same type of medical plans that large companies have. And so a staffing company has a vast middle ground of finding people who normally would have been hired as employees but are now hired as contractors. And, and the problem that I see with that is that it's hard to make a quality hire if you're not being paid more because a staffing firm is reaching, you know, once you start hiring large groups of people, large companies they want rebates, they want discounts, they want to cut down on prices. When they, you know, they treat you like a regular supplier. So you're in a position where if you do $20 million worth of business, you may have to pay back as much as a million dollars in a rebate to the company. But, you know, that's, that's the way that that's done, it comes directly out of a contractor's salary or it comes directly out of a company's budget because, there's, you know, staffing companies aren't, 
it's not like they're selling a product. They're, they're selling a person's services. And so mm-hmm. what you end up having is you have a, a uh, whenever you get a rebate or a discount that shows up on a company's books, that's directly applied to the bill rate. And so uh, <clears throat> it's, it's actually very funny to me to see rebates and discounts making, you know, making their way through the staffing world because you're basically taking money from one side of the corporation, which is the budget of a manager, mm-hmm. and shifting it over to accounting or purchasing. Because staffing companies don't pay for anything. We, you know, you have to, if you ever want to know what your benefits are, sit and talk down to a staffing consultant because they know by the, by the dollar, by the diamond, by the penny exactly how much every benefit costs from days of vacation to medical benefits to workers' comp to the rebate. And so the reason there's a lot of money is because there's a, there's a lot of need. Companies are addicted to hiring contractors. You couldn't add 500 staff or, or 10,000 staff for a place like IBM mm-hmm. without ruining your stock price same time, what do you do is you start to hollow out that large middle class of, uh, of highly paid IT jobs and replace them with contractors with no benefits who can easily be flout off if you need a couple points pushed up in your stock price. So hmm. it's, um, long-term trends are, are scary, but the short-term looks pretty good. So is it possible, in your opinion, for a larger company to, I guess, right the ship? Are they capable of improving their quality or improving margins with this kind of scenario? Um... Well, I, I guess uh, from a large company standpoint, the large staffing companies are in trouble because their stock prices, I forget who did it. It might have been Mark Sinadella, but Someone had a list of all the stock prices of large major companies. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there are very few that are very high at all because when you're dealing with large volume accounts, the, the amount of time and money it takes to, uh, to win that account and then to service it is different than it would take to win a smaller account. So I think it's very difficult for them. Uh, you know, I was in a company that talked about it's hard to be reactive, or quali- it's hard to ha- find quality in a reactive environment. And when you're working with a large company, you don't necessarily get the opportunity to work one-on-one with managers. And so the biggest problem is, is um, well, you know what? I'm just going to come out and say no. It's not possible for large companies to have high quality. And the reason I say that is because if I'm an independent consultant looking for top-flight sales directors, and we're paying them one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. and, I, and I charge thirty percent, I'll make anywhere between forty-five and sixty thousand dollars per placement. If I want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, that's just two placements. If I'm working for a large company doing that, uh, to make that amount of money, I would have to because you, you make you know ten to fifteen percent. Uh, as opposed to 100%. If you're working for a large company to do so, you would have to bill, um, well, six times that. You have to bill $600,000 to make $100,000. And so if you're a large company, you know, finding those high-value people takes time, and they have to trust you. Mm-hmm. So you don't really have the opportunity in a large company to, there's just not enough hours in a day to place $600,000 worth of people. Right. In a year, you can do it, but it's a lot harder to place ten of those than it is to place two of those. So you you end up finding yourself kind of on a treadmill, working much harder. And while you have the benefits of a large company behind you, it's it's, it's hard to place ten great people like that. Um, well, it's a lot harder to place ten than it is to place two. And so I don't know that you can do that with large companies. Um, which is where smaller companies, of course, make huge profits because a small company can focus on a small niche group find the right kind of person, build a small community, the next thing you know, they've made those 10 placements, 
they can afford to spread that out over the course of a year or two years, each person could benefit from it. So um, it's not that large companies have bad people either. You know, there's some fantastic recruiters out there and fantastic account managers and all the large national staffing companies, but the, the structure is built against them. You know, there's a point where working harder for the company mm. it'd be easier to strike out on your own and in fact that's what everyone's been doing in recruiting for you know since it first started no no company has more than 10% of the market and I think of the 10 after the 10 largest no one has larger than, than, than 1% and so it's just a matter of why why work harder for someone's stock price when you can work for yourself and you know make 200 300 400 thousand dollars a year with the same level of effort Interesting. Where, where does this leave the individual co- uh, consultant, in, in your opinion? I'm sorry, what? Where does this leave the individual consultant? Well, um, they've been telling us for a long time that you, for your individual jobs that you should treat yourself as a consultant no matter if you're an employee or a contractor. And I think that um, we really have that opportunity to, to uh, really manage our own careers no matter what you're doing. You know, I think you, you get the management gurus that say you should treat everything like a project and others say to keep your skills sharp. Right. For those people who know how to network and who are always on the cutting edge and see opportunities and, and take risk, I think the, the sky is the limit. I think it's so easy to go out on your own now with the phone and the computer and do anything that those people who aren't afraid to take those steps are going are gonna to do very, very well. And if there's one glimmer of hope, I guess, for it, um, it's that the more that independent people leave, kind of that free agent nation lifestyle, mm-hmm. the more companies will have to respond to hold good people in. And so, uh, with that and the baby boomers leaving, I think that there's, uh, I don't know, it's gonna, it's gonna be tough. See, the baby boom generation is, uh, they're so big and they change everything that they touch. But the idea of going out, you know, they still hold on to those idea of company loyalty. Mm-hmm. And too many companies just aren't worthy of loyalty right now. Doesn't mean they weren't in the past or won't be in the future. But there's there's no you know that old loyalty compact that you get some type of security. It's just it's just not true anymore. And um, and it, there's just no way of saying in ten years anybody will have the exact same job. So even if you like your boss and even if the CEO is great, something may happen in ten years down the road. You're out of an industry. So that protect yourself you have to become more like an independent consultant and these were the people who are doing this now who are working at your your Starbucks and your bread companies and and going to wireless offices and kind of striking on their own and taking five other good people and working at small companies are going to have huge advantages but uh, I think it I think it's it's a bad sign for the corporate guy you know the company man that was uh, all through the 50s and 60s that's what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. I think the independent consultants not only will be more interesting, but I think they're going to be financially more secure. Jim Durbin, Director of Corporate Communications for Durbin Media Group. Thanks for joining me in the Recruiter's Lounge. I appreciate it. Thanks that you had to rant. <laughs> Not a problem. Well, that's it for this show. You've been a wonderful audience. If you like what you heard, love what you heard, or <laughs> just plain hate what you just heard, uh, let me know. Your feedback matters. You can reach me through my website at jimstroud.com slash podcast. That's J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D dot com slash podcast. Some of the music provided tonight from the Pod Show Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com.
And so this ends this edition of the Retro Lounge, home of classic episodes of the Recruiters Lounge podcast. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe now so you don't miss a future episode. Okay, cool. Until next time, bye-bye. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.